Hi, welcome to the Gathering at Adele's Sermon of the Week. This message is by one of our elders, Danny Kokenhauer. We pray that you will be encouraged, empowered, and enriched by these words of wisdom. Thank you. God bless. Well, I'm uh, honored to uh, have my mom, stepdad, and grandmother here with me today. Been a very pivotal, God placed them in my life for a specific reason, and it's been a blessing to have them, so thank you for being here. Appreciate it. Uh, My wife's name's Lanessa, as Brady just mentioned. I've got a few kids. I don't know where they're all at. Caleb's 15. Eli's 12, Audrey, Lord willing, will turn nine tomorrow. Happy birthday, birthday, Audrey. Hey, uh, so man, I think uh, between Kelly and Brady, they like knocked it out already. They kind of like covered it all. So Um, y'all be glad to know Kelly was, uh, hopefully this isn't inappropriate, but she was like, what are you going to, what are you going to talk about? Like Palm Sunday? I was like, well, they really call it Cloak Sunday. And uh, she's like, "Woo, get naked for Jesus. Yeah, which she didn't mean that at all, but she was just being silly because we have a close friendship with the kills. So I'm going to spare you. We're not going to do that. So, um, yeah, yeah. But, man, is I, you know, this whole subject of triumphal entry of Jesus, that's like when you start reading it, I mean, you know, you don't always get to preach like the Sunday before uh, Resurrection Sunday and um and I was just thinking about the resurrect, the triumphal entry of Jesus, and kind of like what what both of them were capturing, how it's um, how from from their perspective, you know, they were, you know, come on, Messiah, you know what I mean, Hosanna, and uh, and then at the same time, their expectation and how they were thinking about it was different than how it was about to be consummated, right? It was different about how it was about to come to pass, um, and. Uh, and so uh, what God brought, like what the emphasis was to me was he, liter- he brought me back more like just a few days before that um, or not, not long before to the life of Peter. And so I want to look at the scriptures and see the journey of Peter as a life that resembles ours in terms of how we're like continually being sanctified. And, um, and so we'll just go through the scriptures uh, see what God wants to highlight, and uh, and just uh, go from there. Okay, so we're going to start off in uh, Matthew chapter sixteen, verse thirteen, and um, and this is going to be a real familiar passage. So I'm just going to read. Uh, 13 through 23, and if I go over a scripture, I may hit quite a few, and you aren't keeping the notes, just hit me up and I'll, I'll get it to you. Don't worry about that. So uh, Matthew 16, verse 13, um, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. And then Jesus replied, but what about you? 
he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Verse 21, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus, or began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Uh, so, Lord, just pray that you would just uh, illuminate by your Holy Spirit all that you want to teach us, anything you want to change in us, anything you want to affirm and reinforce in us. Pray for that in Jesus' name. So, uh, just, I think we just kind of unpack a little bit about we, what we read in, the, in that first section of Scripture. And man, how amazing was it that really Peter really did have a revelation from God that Jesus was the Messiah. Like, like Jesus gives God all the credits. Like, man, nobody taught you this. Like, God impressed this upon you. And, and almost like in a way of like prophetically, like sometimes you see in the scriptures how people say things that they didn't necessarily, weren't inspired of themselves, even like sinful people, because it aligned with God's truth. And so we see from the very get-go that... Uh, that by, by the mouth of Peter, and Jesus affirms it, that he's like, I am the Messiah. You know what I mean? Right out the gate. And what a great promise. What a great affirmation. That's why these disciples have assimilated around him is because they believe that very thing. And um, at the same time, Jesus, from my perspective, gives a prophetic word to Peter, and he, he calls him. Um, he says that on this rock, said, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And I think whenever he said those words, you're Peter, some, some of your scriptures may say this, but it's pretty common that people would translate that as rock or stone, like something like very, very strong, and he's like, I'm going to build my church on you. Um, however, along with that is like, it is a prophetic word just like many of us have received in our lives, yet it doesn't necessarily mean that Peter was fully that right then in that moment. You know what I mean? Like there was a sanctification of his pride, his ego, personal desire, selfish ambition, just his way of thinking, his expectations. And um, one of the things that uh, God reminded me about was uh, that because of, we see that it is a prophetic word and it is true and God does amazing things in Peter's life like he wants to do in our lives is uh, there, it reminded me of a scripture in uh, 2 Timothy um, chapter 2 and uh, it's like verses 19 through 21 and, uh, and what uh, Paul in his letter to Timothy is trying to communicate is like these, I'm going to, he's basically going to describe, this is what makes somebody effective. You know what I mean? In my kingdom, and this is what I'm, the lot that I'm calling all believers to. And so in verse 19, it says, but God's firm foundation stands. Interesting, use that word, firm foundation. 
bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. And he describes this in further detail. He says, so now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Man, what an amazing call. So it's this, it's, it's this responsibility, really, to depart from iniquity. The Spirit's going to do His work. He's given us a new heart. We're a new creation. But there is this separating ourselves and putting us aside from ourselves things that are dishonorable. And God gives us, through His Spirit, the grace and the ability to fulfill that, the, ab- the ability to obey Him. But it is this picture of like, and I'm relating it to the life of Peter, of like, there's going to be this opportunity, this responsibility on him to get outside of him, to put away from him things that are dishonorable so that he can be ready for every good work. Um, I was reminded of a, uh, of, I'm in the insurance industry. I'm a, like a consultant, producer. And so I have uh, all commercial clients that do a variety of different stuff. I insure a lot of contractors. And I have this client right now, they're, they provide uh, concrete, and I was actually just telling Jeff, we were uh, we were in the kitchen this past week for uh, getting food ready. I think it was kids uh, kids church at Brock, and I was telling him I was like, man, I got this contractor right now, and uh, they uh, provided the concrete for multiple slabs, and about and and what we found out is that six of these slabs, some had framing on them. One of them is a full fully built house. That concrete's going to have to be completely torn out, completely demolished. The everything, the plumbing, the rebar, the forms, the framing, the whole house—it's all going to have to be torn out. And the reason it's going to have to be torn out, from what we can tell, you can take samples of concrete, and because we're like everybody's scratching their head, like what happened. So you really you kind of like send it to a, a lab to get it analyzed. And the quality assurance guy I've been talking with him, he's like, man, I've eliminated this and this and this. And so they've taken these cores, they sent them off, they've got it sampled, they've got them back. And the suspicion of the QAQC guy is what they believe it to be, which is basically, I couldn't tell you everything that's in concrete, but there's cement, sometimes there's something called fly ash, there's aggregates, there's water, there's chemicals, there's like all this mix of stuff. But in, 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 and at the end of it, there's a curing process where it all cures, it gets hard, they, met, they, you know, they have these different break periods that has this PSI that it can sustain, these pressures, this weight, this load. And what's happening is, is the concrete's just coming apart, it's just falling apart. And what they think it is, is these little pieces of aggregate that, are, that go into the mix, they were dirty, they weren't clean. They, they, weren't, they, they go through a washing process or like a cleaning process, and it looks like they're dirty. And that dirty stuff on it is about the same size as the cement that's the good stuff, and it's keeping everything from bonding and holding together. Um, and so, therefore, it's going to have to come out. And so that reminded me about the life of Peter, like God's prophesying, you're stone, you're rock, and he is. However, just like that concrete, that finished product that needs to be able to withstand all those pressures, 
withstand the weight of the house, you're all sitting on concrete right now. And if it, if it didn't have the right ingredients and wasn't ready to be put in the mix and secure like it's supposed to, this thing would be falling apart. And so God, in his grace, was identifying, and we're going to look at the scriptures on more of that, of this mindset that Peter has where Jesus is going to say, hold on, rebuke me, you're a hindrance, you know what I mean? And he's going to identify these things, and he's going to sanctify them. You know, uh, Eli, uh, is, uh, he did this project in school about, he took like um, these different glues, like he bought like the cheapest glue, the middle one and the highest one, and he did this experiment for the science project where he was seeing which one's the strongest. And out of all the judges, we have a, a guy at, our, at uh, Brock, his name's Steven Swaddle, and he's like an engineer at Lockheed, a scientist. He has multiple patents in his name, and his specialty is glues and adhesives. So Eli's like, you know, they're like doing his presentation. Uh, and he does it, and he does a great job. And, uh, but afterwards, as we were talking about it, and I think maybe my stepdad was there too, is we're talking about how whenever he teaches his students about glues and adhesions and all that, one of the most important parts is surface prep. It's like, do you have a clean surface? Which oftentimes is, for us, it could be sandpaper abrasive, it could be a chemical wash, it could be heat, it could be all these things, but in order for things to bond together and truly adhere, that surface has to be prepped right. Similar to this aggregate in this concrete that I'm talking about, similar to Peter's life. And so as we're talking about these things, and God's going to, I know he does it all the time, like the Spirit just brings stuff to your mind over and over and over, and I think that's amazing. I think just be thinking about like grabbing hold of that and being like, all right, God, how does this apply to my life? How does this apply to the life of Danny Kokenauer? And don't be afraid to write that down and say, like, that's a good thing. I would rejoice that when God brings things up, even if it's a conviction, even if it's like, Man, I've got this wrong for a really long time, over and over and over. New day. Mercies are new every day, okay? Um, so uh, the latter part of those verses are the, some of the really difficult parts for, um, for Peter because he's on a high, man. He's like, man, I just said he's the Messiah, and Jesus affirmed me, and he's going to build his church on me and, the, you know, give me the keys of the kingdom, the gates of hell, you know. Will not, uh, will not overcome it. And, and then Jesus is like, all right, now let me tell you how it's going to happen. Like, let me tell you how I'm going to be Messiah. And, uh, and so he begins to show. He begins to teach his disciples, like, in a clear, straightforward way. He's like, hey, I must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter rejects it. And, uh, and he's, he takes Jesus aside. He's like, heaven forbid it. He rebukes Jesus. Man. And, uh, and he's like, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen. And Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. Your way of thinking right now is not God's kingdom way of thinking. I mean, Satan already tried to get me to shortcut a long time ago when he wanted me to bow before him so he could give me all, everything that I saw. Right? And I rejected it then. I'm going to reject it now. And he tells him, he goes, what he identifies in him is he says, you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men, right? And so I want to kind of like think through that. And, and not only that, but like along with that promise of him being rock, like 
it is a prophetic word. It is true. It will, it, it will come to pass. But God's going to do, and y'all are familiar with these things, but you think about it like God, like one after another, takes Peter through this sanctification process. And so for us, when we're in that process right now, in our hardest moments of God changing us and identifying things that are not from him, is to view it as an opportunity to embrace it and welcome it and thank God for it and not resist it and throw it off and keep like digging in deeper. You know what I mean? Digging our hills in. Um, so the first thing right after that, whenever Jesus says, Peter, you're not thinking about it the right way, he, he shows him what it does look like. So verse 24 in uh, Matthew 16. So this is right after he says, you're not thinking about the things of man, verses uh, 24 through 28. Then Jesus, he's got all his disciples gathered. Then Jesus tells his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Know that verse 27, when he's like, I'm going to come in the glory of my Father. He's like, I'm going to suffer now, and that's how I'm going to initially come, but I am going to one day come back with glory, and it's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. But I think what, what Jesus is trying to emphasize here, and like uh, Kelly and uh, Brady emphasize, is he's not coming on this you know, horse with a sword drawn as a like that you would conquer something on earth. You know what I mean? He's not trying to re be, he's not trying to one-up Rome. You know what I mean? Where it's a lording over process. He's like, my way is the suffering, humble, servant, you know, piece of a donkey. Like my way is a whole different way of going about it. And, um, and so I, I, that's important because I think even now, we want to strong arm situations and we want to do our, in our best human ability to flex and to manipulate and to will for it. And we're not even thinking about God. All we're thinking about is we have an expectation and we want to see it come to pass and we're going to, we're going to get there come heaven or hell. You know what I mean? That's sometimes where our mind goes and we like, Oh, there's a kingdom way of accomplishing God's will on the earth. And in fact, what I'm willing for, what I'm passionate about, he may not, he may be completely a, a, a opposite of that. You know what I mean? It's to be able to be humble enough to see that. You know what I mean? So um, one of the uh, one of the next things that we see, and you can, and I encourage you read through the passages, read through the crucifixion, but that week leading up to it, and this is a familiar story. But in Luke 22, 31 through 34. We're talking about like how is how is God, how is Jesus, how are they going to make Peter the stone, the firm foundation that God needs for his kingdom to flourish, especially at the beginning. Like it's so important. Like we got to have a solid foundation here, right? So in Luke twenty two thirty one, Jesus says to Peter, he goes, Simon, Simon, behold, 
Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And then Jesus said, hey, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. I have no doubt that, that Peter was serious in, in minute when he says, I'm ready to go with you both to the prison and to death. We'll, we'll read it in a few minutes, how he's got a sword, they're coming to get Jesus, and he's like, boom, you know what I mean? And uh, have no, I have no doubt that he, was do, that he was willing to do that. But that was, that was to reinforce his perception of Jesus as Messiah, as a conqueror. Like, because he's just seen him do miracles. I mean, he's seen him walk on water. He's seen him feed the 5,000. He's seen him cast out demons. And I'm just thinking, are they thinking Jesus is about to show up and he's just going to speak some words and they're all going to, they're just going to die. It's going to fall out and then we're just going to, you know, march right in and we're, and we're good. You know what I mean? Who knows what Peter's thinking, but obviously it's not in line with what, the, what Jesus is thinking. You know, as I was thinking about whenever Jesus prayed for him that your faith may not fail, I, start, I just was kind of doing a word search and was curious about that word uh, faith, and uh, you can look it up, but I think it's a, that, the, our word faith is a translation of the word pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S, and it has to do with somebody, or in this case, Peter's convictions and belief, especially uh, as it relates to having a strong um, belief that Jesus is the Messiah, um, and so I think what, when Jesus is praying that for him, he's like, man, you're about to get sifted. You're about to get tested. And, and what's going to happen is, is you're going to think, I mean, even up to the garden where he's about to, and we'll read that in a minute. Like in Peter's mind, he's like, Jesus is coming as a conqueror. He is going to overthrow Rome. He's going to overthrow the religious leaders. And it's going to be an amazing moment. And I think it, what, when, when Jesus tells Peter about what's about to happen, what about what Jesus is going to allow for his benefit, he's using uh, these, these moments for, for Peter and our benefit, is he's like, when, once you realize that I'm not coming as Messiah like you thought I would according to your expectations, once you realize that, you're going to be at the verge of like throwing your hands up and wanting to quit. Once you realize that my kingdom is about, is there's a suffering element to it, there's a persecution element, there's a rejection element. Once you realize that, you're going to be like, did I, I, did I sign up correctly? You know what I mean? Am I, am I really in for this? Because I didn't think it was going to be this. I thought it was going to be this other easier way where you just wipe everybody out. But the process that you're going to take us through is completely different. And so he's praying for him. I don't want, I, I'm praying, and, and, he know, and he already knows, when you turn back, once you realize that all your way of thinking is wrong, once you turn back, you'll be able to strengthen your brothers because they probably had the same mentality. Peter was just prideful and, you know, had enough bravado where he would say it out loud. You know what I mean? Um, you know, it really is, uh, it's like a, that's like a gospel moment for us. That's like a, once you realize, Peter, that I'm coming down on y'all's level as a suffering servant, and that's the way you have to receive me, 
in humility, that's like where we have all been or, or where we may be right now. Because it's kind of like I was thinking about that movie Cinderella Man. I don't know if y'all seen it. He's a boxer. And uh, it's a true story. Who's the actor? Russell Crowe. So it's in kind of like the setting is uh, Great Depression era. And he's like, he's doing amazing. Like he's making money, investing in taxi services, eating steak. I mean, winning boxing matches. It's great. And then uh, the stock market falls and like nobody can find work. Uh, just having to, can we keep the gas on or can we eat food or what can we, you know, what do we have? Do we have a place to say kids sick, medicine, all the stuff? And, uh, and he's like, he had broken his hand and he's trying to get work at the docks and he gets to the lowly of the low. And so he goes and all those guys that used to run with that still had a little bit of money, I guess they had decent investments. And he just goes to begging and he's like, can you do anything? And they're just like throwing a little bit. A few of them are rejecting him. And then he goes and he gets a, I guess, like a welfare type check. You know what I mean? Because they just couldn't meet it. And I was just thinking about how in order for us to fully receive all that God has for us, we have to be able to, as embarrassing or humiliating as it is, to receive Jesus on that level. Like, that's like, like, take your darkest sin, the thing that you struggle with the longest, the most, the, the, whatever, it's prideful attitude, a bad way of thinking about it. Like, whatever that is the most ugly thing in your life, and it's like, in order for Jesus to deal with this, I have to accept that he came as a brother like me, in Hebrews it talks about it, and became a merciful and faithful high priest. And that I have to accept his blood for my forgiveness, his propitiation for my sin. And that I need to acknowledge part of the, the part that Jesus couldn't get over is in order for him to be a perfect high priest, he needed to be tempted in every way like we are and to suffer like we are. That way, he, that, that end of that verse 18 in uh, Hebrews 2.18, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So if he had bypassed all the, all the God-ordained ways for him to be our Savior, he couldn't be our Savior. That was, that was the way, you know what I mean? But we have to receive him that way too, you know what I mean? So I pray that God makes that connection because, man, even though it may sound like the right way is like, you know how we've all done it. It's like, oh, I don't need your, I've got this kind of mentality of like, it's like that false humility kind of deal of like, uh, I, 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 don't, I don't need you or I'll, I'll, if, I, if it gets really bad, I'll reach out. But it's like God doesn't want it to escalate that far. He wants you to be humble right in your current state and say, man, I need you now. In fact, even an area that looks like it's strong, I need you in that area too. I want to become weak so that you can be strong. I want to just, I, there's no, no weakness I have, no strength that I have that what you have isn't better. Jesus isn't done yet with Peter. He's going to show him he's going to show him some more in Matthew chapter 13 verse 3 and we'll read down to maybe I don't know a little ways maybe 17. 
So Jesus is setting up his kingdom, and he's trying to say, this is my way of doing things. And so in verse 3, this is Jesus. He goes, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the mill, he took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. And he dried them with a towel that was around them. And he came to Simon Peter, and then Peter's like, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm going to do, but later you will understand. And Peter said, he's like, no, you shall never wash my feet. Because he didn't want to interact with Jesus like that. His mind wasn't set on the way that Jesus was coming. And then Jesus says, man, unless I wash your feet, you got no part with me. So Peter does a, well, then, then Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And then Jesus corrects some thinking there. He's like, hey, those who have had a, a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. Um, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. And Jesus says, hey, and when he finishes washing their feet, puts on his clothes and returns to his place. And he's like, hey, do you understand what I've done for you? He's like, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, because I, that is my place, right? That is what I am. But he goes, now that you've seen me as Lord and teacher and I've washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Like, this is how we're going to live out ministry on the earth. And he's like, I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. And he's like, very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Thank you, Jesus, for that model. We need that model in our own lives. Because, man, does pride and ego want to rise up and we think things are beneath us, humbling ourselves is beneath us, and it's your way. It's your way of putting the kingdom on the earth. Jesus still wasn't done yet with Peter. He's like, all right, man, you know, I've, uh, I've washed your feet. I've done all these things. Then we get to the garden. And, uh, man, I'm just thinking, like, we all know what's about to happen in the garden. And I was like, I think Jesus originated the shaking my head emoji. Like, ugh. like come on, bro. Uh, my wife showed me an emoji. This, it's kind of like a, I don't know. What do you call that thing? Some video? A reel. Yeah, and he's like, I'm going to have a good day, good day. And then uh, and, and, and he's like, you know, wiping his bla- his, the ear off of his blade. In John 18, when Jesus comes to get arrested, again, Peter is trying to advance Jesus' kingdom, if you will, by his own strength and ability. I mean, Jesus just loaded him up with a couple of swords and said, hey, take these with you. You know what I mean? And um, in verse 18, or chapter 18, verse 4, uh, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, he went out and he asked them, who is it you want? Because the soldiers and the priests are coming up, the guards. And they go, Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. And Jesus says, I am he. And uh, when Jesus said, I am he, they threw back and fell to the ground like, that when he says I am he, they just hit the ground. And he's like, I think he's kind of like, all right, give him a second to get up. And he, so he asked him again, he's like, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. And that's important because they could have arrested everybody there. 
And in verse 9 in chapter 18 of John, it says, This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. And uh, in verse 10, it says, Simon Peter, who had a sword, he drew it out and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. We, in a different passage, we learn that Jesus heals it. And it's like, just, I mean, Jesus is like, all right, I'm not going to lose one. And Peter does everything he can to, like, be the one that he loses. You know what I mean? It's like, you knucklehead. Yeah. Um, and he tells him, he's like, hey, put your sword away. And, but he says a key verse that's important. He goes, shall I not drink the cup of the, that the Father has given me? Like, this is God's will for me. Why are you, you're intent on saving me. You've got this savior complex, Peter. You think you've got to save me. you got it all backwards here, brother. In, uh, in Matthew 26, very similar uh, all language, I'll just recap it. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. He's saying, that's not how my kingdom comes. If you want to go to battle, I say you're going to die as well. He goes in, in Matthew 26, 53, Do you think I cannot call on my Father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Like that. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? Jesus was anchored to the scriptures. I mean, you see it over and over. Peter goes to do something. He's like, well, that's not how my father said to do it. That's not what the scriptures say. And we're going to be faced with that in our own lives. Like, where we're going to be like, okay, do I do it Danny's way? Or do I be like, well, that's not what the scriptures say. That's not what the Spirit's leading me to do. You know what I mean? Amen to that. And so we're going to need that. We're going to, we're going to, God will bring that back up to us. And he's be like, I knew I was going to be tempted to do it my way again. I'm going to do it his way. Later in chapter 18, he's testifying again in front of Pilate and them. And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus wasn't denying he was a king. He was just saying, my kingdom looks different than your perception. Um, I went on a mission trip to India uh, in late November, early December, and we're, we got to go through London and on our way to India. And we're on this train. There's four of us. And uh, Brad, uh, Pastor Brad, uh, Jesse, a guy named Eric, and myself. And we're just sitting there, and we're just not nobody really on the train, this one guy. And... Uh, and we're talking with him and just seeing, just God, as many opportunities as you can bring. We're ready to bring the kingdom. And so that's kind of what happens. He's like, what are you going to India for? And uh, Brad goes, oh, we're bringing the kingdom. And the guy's like, he thinks we're like ready to fight. Like in his mind, that's literally where he went. He's like, well, okay. You're like, he's thinking we're going to overthrow India and stuff. No joke. I'm serious. And we're like, okay. So we had to like explain, like we're bringing the kingdom of heaven, like we're bringing the gospel. We're sharing Jesus. You know what I mean? We're setting prisoners free. And we did, and it was amazing. But it was so funny how people's mindset goes to that. So all that. So when, I'm, when we're looking at Peter and we've seen all these things, I'm not trying to pick on him. I'm just trying to say what can we extrapolate from his life for our own benefit. And we see even later in John 21 that Jesus restores Peter. In Galatians 6, the scriptures make a big deal out of it. In uh, verse 1, it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. We're all going to need each other. 
potentially we fail or we get off course. Let's have a mindset of like gentle restoration, love, let's get back on track. It doesn't have to, we don't have to be off the rails. The, the next thing that I think is really important, and we see it in John 16, is just Jesus' promise about the Spirit. He's like, man, I'm testifying to you about what's, about what's to come. I'm going to go to heaven, but I'm going to send the Spirit, and the Spirit's going to come, and he's, he's done that in all the believers, and he's going to do an internal work, and he's going to, as Ezekiel talks about, I believe, chapter 36, I'm, you haven't been able to obey my laws. I'm going to cause you to obey. The Holy Spirit's work is to cause us to obey. He, he's not going to give up. He's not going to relent. And then the, the, the shift is like, so how did Peter get the mind of Christ? Because even then after, like, it's so wild. So he cuts off the ear. And then, like, literally, like, the next passage later, they arrest Jesus. They're taking him. And some little servant girl comes on, comes up, and she's like, weren't you with him? So he was bold, like, 10 seconds before when he's cutting off an ear. And now he's like, no, I'm not with him. Because he had to identify with Jesus is being arrested, falsely accused, suffering, about to get crucified. He's put all his, uh, you know, everything that he had on the table saying he's going to conquer. And now he's like, Jesus is really about to die. And he's not, I don't know that he's fully, even, that he, even though he said he's Messiah, I don't know that he's fully convinced that he's going to come back. You know what I mean? There's different perspectives on that. And so he's like, now he's a coward. You know what I mean? Now he's like... I don't want to know. I don't know if I want to identify with suffering Jesus, and he does that three times. And the rooster crows, as we know that. However, we know in First Corinthians uh, two, and I'll invite you to write, read it. Um, but it basically says it's it. You know, in 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 a and this is a really good passage to to kind of to soak up and think about how it applies to our life, because Paul's talking about how do we. How do we have like a heavenly mindset? Like how do we think about things now? And in 1 Corinthians 2, 6 he, and following, he goes, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age. He's like, it's different. Who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And, and follow me as I'm reading this, because this is a mindset that I even hear people say out loud, and we're not finishing the, 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 the most truthful part of the verse. But as, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. A lot of people put a period there. It's like, you can't know. Well, that's false. That's not true. In fact, we're called to know. It says... It's like a comma or a hyphen or whatever you want to call it. These things that our flesh can't see or conceive in our mind or hear, like think about, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, through his Holy Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the, the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Yeah. And then this is the best part, verse 12. Now we have not received. Uh, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So the shift is a work of the spirit. He's telling us all these things, testifying about what's to come, leading us in all truth. This is how we have it right here. And then in the last uh, uh, 
verse 16 of that chapter. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to, so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You do have it. You have it now. Let's cultivate it. Let's feed it. Let's believe it. Let's walk in it. That kind of thing. Um, even one of, uh, one of my favorite passages, and we're almost done here, is, uh, is in uh, Acts 21. Uh, a guy named Agabus, uh, they're meeting in, the, in a room, and he comes and he takes the belt off Paul. Uh, Acts chapter 21, verse 11. He came over to us, he took Paul's belt, and he tied his own hands and feet with it and said, The Holy Spirit says, in this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt, and he'll, we'll hand him over to the Gentiles. And whenever those in the room heard this, we in the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. It's like, thank you, Holy Spirit, you warned us. Amen. That's not how Paul goes. Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. <laughs> See, at the very beginning on the road to Damascus, you know that story. And I, God speaking to him, he's like, hey, man, I want you to go pray for him that he would receive a sight. He goes, I got to show him all the things he's got to suffer for my name. Right? And God does call, there is an element of suffering to his kingdom even now to advance his kingdom. Like, there's no way around it through many afflictions. And so, um, even in our own life, when people are going through, or we are going through a hardship, it's like, God, I want to make sure I'm thinking about people suffering in, your, in hardship correctly. Because there's going to come a day, whether it's now or later, and we are seeing it now, where there's going to be persecution for our godly way that we're living. And we need to be able to think clearly about the scriptures and about our role in the kingdom in terms of how to handle that, how to respond to that. Right? We need to be able to think clearly about, like, this isn't a surprise, you know what I mean, uh, to God. And it's like, how does God want to use these difficult circumstances to change me, to glorify him, to spread the gospel? Because he, he does. So just as a little bit of like, um, like, okay, so like, what's the, what about Peter? Man, the next time you read First Peter, or, or, or uh, yeah, the first book of Peter, I'm not joking. Chapter 1 two, three, four, five, he addresses suffering in all of them. So before he was like anti-suffer. That's not how the kingdom comes. Next time you read it, I'll just hit a few of them. Uh, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering, suffering unjustly. This is a transformed mind. This, he's got his mind renewed now. He's been filled with God's spirit. After Pentecost, he's back to boldly sharing again. He's been restored. He's been loved. He's been changed. Chapter 3, it's like, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Chapter 4, since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh. 
verse chapter 4, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed, if you were insulted. In chapter 5, the same kinds of suffering that are be experienced by your brotherhood throughout the whole world. It's like no surprise. Um, Hebrews uh, talks a lot about this, this kind of stuff. About and You can read in chapter 10. It's like, man, you endured a hard struggle with suffering. It's sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully, check this out, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that yourselves, you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. We were in house church recently and we were talking about suffering and I don't know why, but God was just like convicting me of this and maybe it's a little bit of James 4 about friendship of the world and stuff like that. I think, I believe, and this is, I think the scriptures hold true, like the more ingrained I am into the world, definitely if I have a love for the world, that's no good, right? Friendship with the world is enmity with God. But the more, so, so if I had a love for the world and my stuff was getting plundered and taken away, I'd be heartbroken. I'd be sad. I'd be like devastated, right? But if we've got like this loose hand and be like temporary home, temporary place, God use it however you want, take it, give it, whatever you want, then I can endure all those suffering things. So that's like a heart check. It's like how like how heavily invested am I in this world? Like, what's my attachment? What's its attachment on me? It's like a good thing to examine. Last thing I want to hit. So, man, this is like something like God just keeps on like hammering home to me. My mentor's name was J.D. Smith. And he was like, hey, let's be like us. I don't ride horses, but you guys do. My daughter rides like a soft mouth horse. We're just like the slightest. You know what I mean? You just shift your weight and that thing moves. You know what I mean? Like just very sensitive. And I'm just thinking like practically, God, like how do we have your mind? How do we, um, how do we maximize your purposes on the earth through our lives? And I think in a lot of ways, it's like having this sensitivity to God's spirit. Um, and that would be like my my. my final thoughts to us where we can like just pause for a second and just think and be like holy spirit if you're here to guide me in all truth and i'm here and you're revealing the deep things of god and you're giving me direction on everything have i grieved you have i ignored you have i tuned you out have you said do this and i went the opposite way and how can i know i'm covered and i'm forgiven through the blood of jesus but i want to restore like close intimate fellowship i want to be trusted whenever you tell me something I don't want to grieve you like a friend. I want you to be like, he cares deeply. You know, because if, if my wife says something important and then I blow her off, things probably aren't good in more ways than you can imagine. And, uh, but whenever I repent, I'm like, hey, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Let's, do this, let's start over. And I think, like, sometimes, like, how do I, I want a fresh start over. I want a fresh start over with the Spirit. Because if I want that renewed mind in Christ, I want to be the most effective I can on his kingdom. I want to be able to praise his glory and have a clear conscience before him. Like, think about it in, like, practical terms. Because it's easy to, like, be like, I, I sinned here and I did this and I did that. I think, you like, like, that's why we have God's Spirit within us. Like, he can just, like, oh, I'm so sensitive. Like, he's giving me this. And it's just like this gentle breeze that I receive and I walk in. And if I feel like it's off, it's like, let's get that right again. You know what I mean? So can we just close our eyes for a second? 
and uh, just so we can set our mind on him other than no other reason. Just spirit, we just want to give you a few moments of silence where you can speak to us and that you can uh, reveal to us anything that's important to you. the Spirit's words are super precious. Even with that, I just know that some people are still like just burdened and it's like, man, I love everything you're saying, but I'm just like hung up on all these other things. Like I've got stuff that's just wearing me out and that I feel overwhelmed by. And uh, I just want to just pray for those that still feel overwhelmed by sin. You feel alone. Um, really it's our job as the body, just like when we've been afflicted, God's comforted us. Part of our job as the body is to come around each other and to comfort those who are afflicted. We could surround each other right now, and that's meant so much to Lanessa and I to love people. It's one of the most attractive things about the gathering and is just how we stop and we love people and we surround them. However, I think... S- that comfort, that deep comfort that people are needing, that if they've been afflicted, uh, you can see that in Second Corinthians chapter 1. Man, that may need, there may be a greater investment of time that you need to comfort those who are afflicted. So I'm just confident that God, through his spirit, will reveal those in this body, uh, the people that are not here, that need to be comforted and need to be loved um, and need to be encouraged. And so would you just, in obedience to God's spirit, would you use the gracious gift of comfort that he's given each of you to love people well and to comfort them? God, would you just guide us into that? Let us just be sensitive. Let us just tell you yes and stick to that yes. And God, help us to be humble, but help us to be courageous. Help us to to be your vessels, your hands and feet for people that desperately need you. Um, that are that are just crying out, and, and maybe they've even stopped crying out because they're so whipped by it all, so whipped by the discouragement of sin, and we know that's why you've called us to encourage one another daily because of how it can harden people's heart and resentment because of the deceitfulness of sin. And so you're, we are your plan on the earth to comfort and to bring truth and to alleviate and to help to bear the burdens of others. So help us to do that well by your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. Got anything else? Tonight? Yeah. Go ahead. Go home, take a nap, go back at 6 o'clock. Love you guys. Y'all have a good one. Bye.